Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to A Celtic State of Mind. It's Monday afternoon. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm joined by Colin Watt. Welcome back, Colin. How was your weekend? Yeah, good. Good weekend. Um, always starts well with a Celtic victory and uh, yeah, good day out yesterday as well. So yeah, can't complain. What about yourself? Yes, good. As you said there, uh, another victory taking us a step closer to the promised land, the treble. We are talking about it. We're going to also be talking about the gap between Celtic and the rest um, and some of the individual performances, some of the issues as well that were raised uh, over the weekend in relation to missiles being thrown at Joe Hart, um, bogus penalties uh, that no one wants to talk about, but they were absolute stonewallers, etc., etc. Colin, but before we do that, we're 33 subscribers away from hitting the magical 21,000 mark. Can we do it today? If you do, jump on and subscribe, which is free, by the way. You will be put into a draw for this retro vintage Adidas German kit with a big shamrock on it. It's a concept kit. We put it together ourselves. So, Colin, um, yeah, let's start off then with the the third force, apparently, uh, in Scottish football. Hearts came up against Celtic twice in a week, once at home, once away. Uh, historically, a tricky wee tie. And I think, you know, over the piece, we swatted them aside uh, like a fly buzzing around your head. We just flotted them out the way. And, you know, this argument around, you know, fair enough, Hearts want to be a force in Scottish football. I would suggest that they're currently the third force. Um, And it does show you the gap between us and Hearts. But um, we'll get on to the other narrative later. What did you make of the two games and and the gap between the two sides? Do you know, it's quite interesting when we say that it's a a tricky tie, notoriously. Um, Obviously, they inflicted... The defeat in Ange's first league game, the 2-1 mm. game. 
Um, and then you have to go back to 2018 before Hearts beat Celtic um, bef- like before that. And if you remember correctly, that's the game that Abu Kwasi played with a, a broken leg. So when you look at it, we keep going on about how difficult these ties are. Um, and if you look at the aggregate scores over the last couple of years between Celtic and Hearts and even Rangers and Hearts, it's not that close. It isn't. There's teams that have given us harder games than Hearts. Mm-hmm. And there was a, I think it was on commentary, they were saying on Saturday that the last time that Hearts had won a Scottish Cup tie at Tencastle against Celtic was way back in 1987, maybe? Maybe even earlier? They never, well, it might have been 86, 87 season, actually, Colin. i go back on what I said there. It might have been the 86, 87 season. Um, yeah, and, and again, that is within my time, the 80s, uh, before you start that carry on as well. Um, is, it a, is it a tricky tight thing, Castle? I think when you look at the fixture list, it is one that you think to yourself, yes, it's not going to be easy to go to Tencastle. I think that's a combination of things. Um, the actual stadium, the the crowd, that toxic atmosphere that you need yep. to enter into. I think all that feeds into it, Colin. But no, I, I get what you're saying. When you look at the stats, perhaps there are trickier grounds to go to uh, yep. than Tyne Castle. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Is it 1987, they say? I've just seen that from uh, Billy in the chat. So uh, you look at the previous... Fort Melbourne does the previous 49 matches. Mm-hmm. between Hearts and Celtic. Celtic have won 40 of those 49 matches. Now, uh, there is that thing, and I get everything that you're saying. You do feel it yourself going there. It's like difficult ground. The, pit, the fans are on top of you. We'll get. We'll speak about what happened to Joe Hart later on. Yeah. Um, yep. And actually some of the, the other stuff that has been picked up this morning by the unique angle video that Celtic released. Um, but we do always seem to get it done when we go there mm. even when you go back to that game that Ange lost in his first uh, league game of the season you look at the team that we had to put out that day and the fact that Abada scored a perfectly good goal exactly mm-hmm. so when it goes back to this point that we're talking about here about the gap between Celtic and the rest <sighs> It is massive and it says more about how we can overcome these alleged difficult situations with, as we've seen on Saturday, ease. It was. It was in the end. No, it's a good point you make, Colin, and I think it's perception against statistics, isn't it, really? You've got the perception of Tynecastle being a tricky uh, away ground to go to. Um, I think the atmosphere feeds into it. I've called it toxic. We'll get back to that, like you said, uh, later on in the show. I've not seen the unique angle yet. It's one of the things I always look out for. I've not seen that yet, Colin, so you'll need to fill me in. Um, 33 subs. Do you think we can do it today? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Well, the thing is, we've got, um, you know... Obviously, the figures with regards to who tunes in on a daily basis, we're sitting at over 400 live just now. That goes up. It goes up over five, six, seven, eight sometimes, uh, post-match thousand sometimes. And But then over the piece, once our Australian audience wakes up and everything else, um, you get seven, eight, nine thousand watching and tuning in. But only, you know, less than half of them actually subscribe to the channel. There is no fee, nothing at all, 
is chargeable for our content, all you need to do is click on subscribe. You, you can also click on the notifications bell and be notified when we go live and when other videos land on the channel. Um, so, yeah, getting involved in that, we do have some other prizes. I'm going to be uh, keen to bring in some of the uh, comments, both regular and newbies. We've got Jungle Lion who comes in on a regular. It's now time for the total domination, uh, dom dominance and to be ruthless. Ruthlessness is something I want to talk about because I think we've got that. Uh, imagine what this team will be like in another 100 and games time. I spoke about it last week, Colin. You know, this is where we are, what is it, 101 games in, 100 cup, what, 102 games in. Where are we going to be in 100 um, if we continue that trajectory? And that, that's a frightening prospect. Yeah, and it's, it's an encouraging thing as well because sometimes you see that managers get to the stage where they've achieved pretty much everything that they can. They've probably taken a team as far as they can go. And to be honest, looking at that Hearts team, I think Robbie Nielsen's done that. I don't think he can take that Hearts team much further. Um, and you can always see, even as a Celtic manager, um, when a natural end is coming. We've seen it with Rodgers, although he probably left a bit earlier than we anticipated. We've seen it with Neil Lennon. We've seen it with Strachan. This Ange team now, I don't think even this time next year, we'll have seen the best of what this Ange team can do because the constant improvement is is frightening. Mm. It is. You mentioned Rogers there. There were signs, Colin, looking back. I don't think we all wanted to believe that that was coming to an end. I mean, it's easy to rewrite history. We enjoyed our time under Brendan Rogers and uh, you know winning trebles and stuff like that became, became a thing, uh, which was great. But there were signs. With regards to Ange, it's been... Uh, you know, a laser-focused approach since day one, whereby you know the the press were calling a, a defeat against Michelland as a you know a, a catastrophe, and he was yep. putting them right on that because he knew that this wasn't something that uh, he was going to walk away from. It was something that he had a clear vision in relation to, and uh, we're here 18 months later uh, at a point where we've even brought in players under Ange um, that have moved on, and you can see the evolution of the team constantly. I yep. want to talk about. Uh, a couple of those guys. I want to certainly talk about um, Alistair Johnson, who I think's made an incredible impact since coming into the side. But the point remains: the third force. So, so Hearts have been talking around, you know, their recruitment, their uh, building program, their business strategy, and how they want to become a force in Scottish football. By the way, I welcome that from any team. Any team who's got that ambition, superb. Yep. I think it's brilliant. Um, but I agree with you as well. I think that both managers and clubs can take it only so far. Can take it only so far, Colin. Now that there is uh, more restrictions in relation to how you get your money and how you spend your money, um, as opposed to how you're earning it as well, where financial fair play rules coming yeah. in, which can only be a good thing. Um, so the ambition's one thing, you know. Seeing it through is another. There's too much short termism in football, not just Scottish football, but in football in general. Um, but I'm reading headlines today about the, the gap between Celtic and Rangers and the rest of the league being the biggest it's ever been. And obviously we are used to calling the journalists and the media within Scottish football lumping Celtic and Rangers into just about any um, headline that they possibly can. This isn't about Celtic and Rangers. This is about Celtic for me. Now, people might point to the fact that there's only nine points of a gap at the top of the table. That isn't the full story, though. This is bigger than just the points deficit. This is looking at assets. This is looking at finances. This is looking at the stadium. It's looking at the infrastructure, the recruitment process, the stability, the management team that we've got in place. It's the whole picture, not just those nine points, is it? No, it's, uh, you're spot on. And the thing is, 
I don't actually, and again, I was pretty young at the time, but I don't remember this ever being an issue when there was a Rangers team running away with success in Scottish football. And yet, over the last couple of years, we keep hearing about how things have to change and we need to look at the gap and uh, we need to maybe change the way that the financial model structured to help other teams out, to help them reinvest. And I don't remember any of this. And I might sound a bit sort of um, paranoid by saying that, but the, the facts are the facts and it's out there. Mm-hmm. And Celtic haven't done anything that other teams couldn't realistically do, perhaps on a smaller budget. Um, they have went out, they've put in some good infrastructure behind the scenes. They've got the coaching staff, they've got the scouting team, um, and they've tapped into markets that traditionally Scottish teams wouldn't have thought of. Now, yeah. both, I think, Hearts and Dundee United and Motherwell have then since looked at those markets to maybe a lower scale. But you look at some of the money that has been wasted in Scottish football by these other teams, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why they're not able to close the gap with the resources that they've got. I'm not saying that they can close it right away, but over time, if you build on it, if you get the right infrastructure behind, you can see how well a team can do. We are speaking last week about Queen's Park. Now, Queen's Park... A lot of people say, well, they've, they've threw money at the team and that. You take a look at the signings they've made. And I think you say that last week we were saying the biggest signing that they've made is actually a player that's came from junior football. Yep. So it's not as if they've done a Gretna and thrown hundreds of thousands of pounds at it to get to the position they're in. And they do look as if they'll probably win the championship this year and come up. So you take a look at that and you say, right, that's someone that understands what they have to do to be sustainable. Then you take a look at Aberdeen this season. They brought in Jim Goodwin, who had done very well at St Mirren. And then you take a look at the signings they'd made. Now, there was a couple of pretty good signings there. I've got to say Miofsky, very Mm. good signing. Duke, very good signing. And then you look at guys like Anthony Stewart, who came up, given the captaincy right away. Yeah. And you take a look at his career and you say, what suggests that he's ever, one, good enough to be an Aberdeen captain, and two, even good enough to play in this league. There's this fixation that journeymen in League 1 and League 2 can come up and do a job for the likes of Motherwell, St Johnston, Hibs, Hearts, all, all these teams. It's not it's not good enough. It's not enhancing Scottish football and the standard and, and the quality of it. Um, to, on one note on Aberdeen, by the way, just because you brought them up, I quite like the, the, the cut of Barry Robson's jib, by the way. I think he's done really well since he's gone in there. Um, but he conducts himself really well as well after yep. the game. I yeah. mean, I don't know what they're planning to do, but you know, we're, we're talking about stability. We're talking about building uh, something. Is it really uh, you know, a good time to change manager again? Why not just run to the end of the season with Barry Robson? Um, they're not going to do any worse, are they? Let's be honest. I, I think they will. And it's good to see Barry has stuck around. You take a look at, um, we were speaking probably a couple of months ago about like Sir John Kennedy mm. and stuff and how many managers he's been through. Barry Robson's now in his second interim charge at Aberdeen. Um, and although it didn't start well, he's bounced back pretty well. And he certainly won back that dressing room, which I think Jim Goodwin had probably lost by the time he'd left. So, um, yeah, 
it's it's good to see him given the chance, and I think him given that chance there is something that could actually go down to some of the younger players. We look at there was a I think came out today, and I think only nineteen under twenty ones have actually played in Scottish football this season. Celtic haven't played any from the start. The likes of Rocco Vata has come off the bench. Mm. Um, Rangers have had a couple, but it's it's getting lower and lower. And I wonder why we're not developing young talent. We're not giving <clears> them a chance to that extent as well. No. You know, what we are doing is we're spending so much money on, well, I say we, the other teams in Scotland are spending so much money on the likes of an Anthony Stewart coming up, giving them the captaincy. When you look at some of the players that they've brought in and sold on over the years, like likes of Calvin Ramsey. Yes. And you're saying, right, reinvest in that, keep that going. If you keep doing that way, you're going to get those transfers fees that will help close that gap. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's a much better model. I mean, you mentioned the Aberdeen example. Obviously, Hibs have had examples of it. Um, Recently and in years gone by, Hearts. You know, you're looking at some of the guys that are going over to Italy, aren't you? Uh, like Doig and, and Hickey, and I know Hickey's come Ferguson. back, but you're right, you give them, yeah, Ferguson, I mean, he came through a, a Hamilton Aki system that was working for, for a period of time. Um, and, yeah, you give them the game time call, and then there's a value on the player by the time they get to 21 uh, or 20, and, and they've got that first-team experience. So, yeah, I think I would much rather see that. Um Ange has already said that we're maybe six to 12 months away from giving more game time to that group of players that you mentioned, Colin. We'll have a wee chat about the B teams and, and potential uh, changes in the structure of the pyramid uh, as well today. But we, we do really want to focus on uh, the performances that Celtic have had over the last week or so, the two games against Hearts, uh, both home and away. And I'm keen to get the thoughts of our listeners. Michael Ross, hail, hail, my fellow Celts. Happy Monday yet again. Aye, it's not uh, slow and coming back round, is it? Derry, Jerry. Hi, guys. Do you think Harry Kuehl has been mentored to take over from Ange? As I would be very unhappy if Angie's style went with him. Let's hope Ange stays for years to come, though. The, the final sentence, absolutely, Jerry. yeah. Let's hope we're, we're looking way ahead of ourselves here. But I, I can see why uh, Andrew's brought him in. I can see uh, the, the purpose of having a style of play and a culture within a club that can continue once the main focus of that, being Ange Postecoglou in this case, either steps aside, steps upstairs or goes elsewhere. I'm hoping it's not the latter. Um, and Harry Kuehl could well be that guy. Uh, like you said before, you know, he's come in, he's asked himself, is Kennedy and Strachan, you, you know, the, the type of people I want at the football club? And he's seen enough to suggest that they are. Um, and nobody really talks about them as much as they were before. You know, there's no yeah. real focus on the two guys now, Colin, because we're doing well and it's working. Uh, but Harry Kuehl, I don't know about anything else, but the best hair since Charlie Mulgrew at Celtic Football Club. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. Are you not giving Jota it, no? No, sorry. Jota, I'm, I'm, not having, I'm not having the, the wee shaved bits at the side. No, no Harry Kuehl's got it. It's a good point that Derry brings up here. And when you look at it, the infrastructure behind the, the first team at Celtic has changed since Hans Postecoglou came in. Um, obviously, he's got Darren O'Dea and Stephen McManus running the B team. Um, and they have implemented the same style of football as the first team. 
and they go right down the youth systems, and that's exactly what they're trying to do as well. So we're talking about when Ange goes, well, will the style of football go? I don't think so, because the amount of investment they've put in this style of football is evident, and these players are now going to be able to make that transition up into the first team and fully adapt to that style of football. You take a look at the likes of um, Anthony Ralston, Greg Taylor, um, some of the other players that have done really, really well since mm. Ange Postacoglu came in. It took them a bit of time to adapt to it, but now you're seeing probably the best of them in their whole careers. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I think if you take a look at the B team, over the sort of previous seasons, they've sort of played a different style of football. They've played a style of football that suited themselves. Um, and you notice that more when we had the, the sort of COVID outbreak and we had to bring the likes of Kanamoko Dembele and um, Armstrong Okoflex into the first team. We yeah. changed the formation, we changed the style of football we played. Um, and they, they never really broke through, to be perfectly honest. So I think now when the likes of hopefully Rocco Vata and Boston Lau, um, even Johnny Kenny, players like that, make that step up, um, they'll adapt and they'll fit into the Ange style um, a lot better. But keeping with that Ange style, uh, Paul, I'd like to kind of look in detail about that first goal on Saturday. And there isn't, so far this season, and probably maybe since last season, I don't think we've seen a more better, a more better, terrible English, sorry, a better example of the Ange style of football than that first goal on Saturday. The high press, the possession, yeah. all of that. I think it was just the perfect example of the style of football Ange Postacoglu wants to play. Mm-hmm. Um, from kickoff, we keep the ball, everybody gets a touch, goes down the left-hand side, Haksavanovic cuts inside um, and Xander Clark has to make the save. We take the quick corner, we keep the ball going. It's all about keeping that ball in possession and that sort of we-never-stop mantra going in there. Um, the cross comes over, Michael Smith heads it clear, McGregor takes a shot, it's over the bar. Now, that's all within the first 47, 48 seconds mm-hmm. of the game. <clears throat> yep. And then from the goal kick, Hearts try to play it out, Sander Clark plays it to his defenders, I think it goes into Halliday, Halliday launches it long, ends up out for a throw-in. From that point onwards, we take the throw-in, it gets passed along the back four, back along to Johnston, Johnston down the line, Jota does extremely well to anticipate that bounce, um, gets himself into a really good position, looks up, which is a, something that Celtic wingers have been really poor at doing previous times coming in, is actually looking up to find that cross. But the amount of space he's got, he's able to look up, see where um, Aaron Moy is, cuts the ball back to him, and Aaron Moy does extremely well to put it away. That's a difficult shot mm-hmm. to control. It bounces just before him, and he puts it away lovely. Hearts only had maybe four or five touches of that ball. Yeah. And we're at 1 minute 47 seconds into the game and Celtic are 1-0 up. They've had three shots, a corner, and Xander Clark's had to make a save all in the first minute and 47 seconds. Yeah, now, they were right down the throat for the first whistle. Exactly. You could go into maybe 99 out of 100 other games that don't involve Celtic or maybe even do involve Celtic previously. And in the first minute and 47 seconds, you'd be lucky to see maybe a couple of throw-ins. You take a look at how Ange set that team up, and that is a sucker punch because it ruins the other team's game plan. Yeah. Hearts would have probably loved to keep it tight the first 15 minutes, 
And there's still guys, maybe in the pie stall, maybe still coming through the turnstiles, that have totally missed that. And it's not the first time we've seen it this season. It's the second time in a couple of weeks that we've scored a goal within the first two minutes of a game. Carl McGregor's goal against Aberdeen. But the, the beauty, I think, of that goal is the fact that, and I might be completely wrong, somebody can maybe point it out, but apart from Joe Hart, I'm pretty sure every single Celtic player touches that ball. Yeah, and you're right in terms of just uh, you know being down their throat from, from the first whistle, Colin, and it's a statement of intent. And like you say, it throws, this is a difference, it throws their game plan out the window. When it happens to us, as it has done against St. Millen and Hearts recently, doesn't throw our game plan out the window because we know no. that we can, you know, we can turn that screw as the, as the ninety minutes uh, kind of develops and plays out in front of us. And I, it's a great point. And yeah, it probably is the best, um, the best example of what and I don't like calling it Ange ball, but what this Ange style of play and approach has um, has become. One wee point I was going to make there. You brought up Queens Park before, right? So here's an example of you were saying clubs failing to capitalise on on opportunities or even financial. Um, opportunities in relation to the game and ticketing and all that kind of stuff. See if and when Queen's Park come up, and I hope they do, and I hope it happens this season. They're obviously uh, de- de- redeveloping Lesser Hamden, and they're going to have a, a stadium there that's probably going to, you know, fit a capacity something under two grand, two thousand, sorry, two thousand at the at the park. When Celtic and Rangers come to town, right? Do you think Queen's Park will say, okay, we'll give you? <laughs> 500 tickets. Do you think they'll go to some somewhere like Oakleview or Furhill and say, we'll give you a couple of thousand tickets? Or do you think they'll be looking into going to Hamden Park, just across the road there, um, where there's a capacity of 50,000, where they'll probably be able to sell 48,000 tickets to the opposition and make a profit from four massive, massive games uh, for them next season? Because I think I know the answer. Yeah, I, I think it would, it would be... Hamden, if it was possible. And that's the difference, Colin. That's the difference between a team coming in and saying, no, we're going to make this work, and a team coming in with these... these, I know that the views have been given that it's for the benefit of the long-term you know, season ticket holders at X, Y and Z club. But it's about being able to capitalise on an opportunity uh, to make money that you then feed into your football club and make yourself stronger, surely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at it and you're saying, what, 40... 8,000 tickets. Now, I'm not saying that you will get 48,000, but you take a look at it. When Queen's Park were in the third, the old third division, as it was at the time, I think that they did play Rangers in that. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did. Um, and it was played at Hamden. And you talk about maybe 48,000 tickets, an average of roughly £25 a ticket. Mm. That's £1.2 million that you could make. And one game. Now, obviously, you're talking. Is that, that is that one is that one fixture, Colin? That you've just watched. That's one it? fixture. Right. So do it times four. Yeah. So you're talking the best part of five million pounds. Yeah. If they finish in the top six, or they get them in the cup, could be more. Mm-hmm. But you take. I mean, for me, it's just absolutely bonkers that people go on about how much their club is maybe struggling financially. St. Mir- I mean, we'll take a look at the St. Mirren example. Seven-figure loss last season, and there was swathes of empty seats at the Smizer a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm pretty sure Kilmarnock would be the same. Yeah, of course, there'd be costs, there'd be policing costs, but you're still going to make a lot more money getting 40-odd thousand fans in at Hamden 
than you would be giving them 500 and saying we're going to take advantage of lesser hand. But again, the big um, point I, I would make with this, Colin, is you've got these clubs who are stuck in a rut in relation to almost uh, not a hatred. Some might have a hatred of a team like Celtic um, and saying, well, we're not going to give you them. You know, you know, we're not going to give you the tickets. And this is the reason why we're not going to give you tickets. And the reason they give you doesn't stack up. Um, and then you've got a new set of eyes on it with a new team coming in and saying, well, actually, we will capitalise on this. We will make some money. And you know what? We will progress as a football club as a result of that extra five million quid. Plus, Colin, everything else you get when there's <laughs> when there's that amount of fans in your football stadium, everything else you can capitalise on in terms of, you know, your your merchandise and food and drink. Yeah, see, the thing is, see if teams are realistically selling out, which I would love to see across Scottish football. Um, you take a look at that Dunfermline Falkirk game the other day. Technically, I sell out because of the stadium regulations at Dunfermline at the minute. But 9,500 fans in League yep. One, great to see. What did we have at St Mirren? Six and a half? Something like that. Yeah. And that stadium can hold more, a lot more. Yep. Um, so, for me, it just doesn't add up that if teams were actually selling out, like Hearts do, Hearts do traditionally sell out the fixture um, and you can understand why they limit the um, allocation for Celtic fans. Totally understand that. St, um, sorry, not St Mirren. Hibs do that traditionally as well. But like, so you go to McDermott Park or you go to Furhill or you go to um, Rugby Park and there's Swedes upon Swedes upon Swedes of empty seats and you're just thinking... Yeah, okay, okay, you don't want it to feel like you're playing in a away game at your own home ground, but it hasn't made any difference for the likes of Livingston. Traditionally been a very difficult place for us to go. And you go there and it's, what, seven and a half, eight thousand away fans and maybe a thousand odd for the home section. I mean, what difference does it really make? No, your home advantage isn't just... The, the fans and and obviously the energy that they create. The home advantage is it's your it's your home ground that you're used to playing it and training yeah. it and being it as well. Uh, the familiarity of that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think that you know it'd be a great thing if Queens Park to get do get up, and I think there will be a masterclass in and how to capitalise on it uh, on show when they do. Uh, EPH, happy birthday, John Clark. He is 82 years of age today. Wow. Colin, he is the only Lisbon Lion, and I'm talking the Lisbon Lion, the loving that that made the, the game at Lisbon, but also yeah. the others who also uh, played in that run. He's the only one that's never written a book. Really? John Clark. Yeah. You know, we had books from Yogi and John Farley, yeah. Charlie Gallagher, but we've never ever had a book from John Clark. Now, you imagine the, the length of time he's spent at the club, both as a player, as an assistant manager uh, with Billy McNeil, um, and also as the kit man, the kit controller. Yep. Unbelievable knowledge, insight, anecdotes, relationships, experiences. I'd love to see a book. Will we ever see it? I hope so. I really do hope so. Because um, as you say, there'll be a lot of untold stories that we're probably not aware of. Um, and there'll be his side of the stories from the big ones that we are. So it would definitely be a very interesting read. A lot of people would say, oh, it's the same stories. You've heard it from... X, Y, and Z, not with John, because as you say, John's been so influential at Celtic and he's been there for so long that his stories 
would be totally different from everything we've read before. Mm. Aye, they definitely would. And you look at some of the relationships that he's had, you know, Henrik Larson, every time he's in Scotland, visits, he makes sure he visits John Clark. Martin O'Neill last Saturday when we were chatting to him, he names John Clark as being one of these figures that is so important yeah. behind the scenes to anybody who's managing the football club. Martin Rogers um, makes a point, Harry Kuehl was not too inspiring at Oldham, but that was the worst ever owner's fault. And JR comes in, Harry didn't avenge then. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what he would be doing here at Celtic is, is taking the reins that are already in place and a structure and an infrastructure that's already in place and ensuring that that continues. Listen, I don't even want to think about what happens um, when, if and when Ange leaves the club. But I, I do want there to be a continuity, Colin. And yeah. I've said before, See when Ange, you know, his time as as the manager is finished. I'd like to see him remaining at the club. I don't know if that's what he wants. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to compare Kiel's time at Oldham to what he's doing just now uh, and what he could potentially do in the future. Um, we, we saw a video, me and, me and you last week, um, when I came through to the studio, and looking at Ange and how he's even adopted his style of football throughout his time. Um, and a lot of that comes down to, well, the, the, the person that was obviously voicing over it has put it down to the fact that Ange's involvement within the City Football Group mm-hmm. uh, when he moved to uh, back to Australia and stuff. I think when you come into that, there is a style of football that is played across all of these teams. And Celtic have been kind of on the fringes of that City football group for a long time. We've obviously had the, the previous um, connection with uh, Peter Lawwell, Mark Lawwell, who's now our head of recruitment. Uh, we've now got a new um, chief scout that's supposed to be coming in uh, from the City football group before as well. There was obviously the talk of Fergal Harkin. Um, so there is going to be a connection in there. And Harry Kuehl's learning and he's willing to learn it takes a lot for someone who has already been a manager to take that step back to learn under someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's the respect that Kiel's got for Postacoglu, which shows um, that he is willing to learn, he is willing to adapt. So if he does get a couple of years under Ange, I would be happy enough with the likes of him or even John Kennedy taking the reins potentially after that. The scouting outside... Joe Dudgeon, former player and former City Group scout, um, is now continuing to scour the world for new talent for Celtic and Ange Postecoglou. So, uh, as you say, you know, tweaking the behind-the-scenes staff um, ever so, so slightly here and there, Colin, to the yep. point where you've got an infrastructure behind the scenes that you're happy with, and that's what Ange has done. He's done it, and it's taken him time. Uh, no knee-jerk. John McCauley, the hardest game for Celtic just now is the training ground. Such a poor standard of league just now. Um, I remember during the writing of the Quality Street Gang, a lot of players saying, a lot of the first team players calling, saying the hardest game they ever got was when they played the Quality Street Kids at Celtic Park, uh, which uh, you know would happen about once every week. And Sean Fallon would be the referee 
and uh, it was a really competitive game. If you can imagine, sometimes the Quarter Street kids won the game. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, they're up against the Lisbon Lions. It's an incredible situation. Imagine being a kid going down to Barrafield to watch that on a Friday afternoon. Unbelievable. Um, Gary Melrose. Alan Morrison reckons actually the, the actual gap would be even more, 12 to 15 points, if it wasn't for their luck. With VAR, even greater if it wasn't for our bad luck. Yeah, I mean, it's all about luck and being lucky men. Colin, I, I don't want to labour this because it was a phenomenal uh, result and we are going to be talking about the brilliance of Aaron Moy and the superb finishing of the likes of Hugo, etc. But uh, there was a situation in relation to the one and only Alistair Johnson as he's running down uh, to get the ball inside and he's basically taken out. And uh, it's as clear a penalty as I've ever seen, uh, to be honest with you. What was your take on that? I honestly couldn't believe that that wasn't given. It wasn't even looked at, which for me, beggars belief. Um, Michael Stewart's uh, reasoning behind it was was worse. I, I, I honestly don't get what he was trying to say. His claim was that if Halliday wasn't there, Johnston's cross would still have been as poor as what it was, and therefore it's not a penalty. I know. It, um, it was quite disappointing from, from Michael Stewart. I don't know if he divides opinion in our comment section. I think he's a very, very good pundit. I, I really do. I like listening to him. I, I find him really balanced generally. But that's what makes it more surprising, because I think it was it was a poor, poor shout by Michael Stewart. But if you watch, and obviously you've not maybe had the chance because you're doing the post-show, but after the game it was all wee, 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 wee. I noticed that. I did notice that, Colin, yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, Talking to wee. Talking to wee, right? That's a great link. Um, You look at the the footage of the the tunnel before the Wraith Rovers game. um, It's an old pals act. So what then happens then, right? Let's just open this up a wee bit. What then happens then when McGregor pulls down a Wraith Rovers player for a penalty shout? What happens when, you know, all that pally-pally, you know, unconscious bias comes into play? Because we know it exists. We're not just talking football here. It exists in every walk of life. It's scientifically proven to exist, Colin, uh, unconscious bias. So how come in Scottish football it doesn't exist? Let's just pretend it doesn't happen in Scottish football. Um, And you see footage like that, and it just feeds in not to a conspiracy. It feeds into a narrative, and it's a well-placed, well-balanced narrative um, using evidence over a number of seasons um, that... You know, maybe it's the only way that they can potentially try and keep that gap as short as it possibly is, or potentially keep uh, their team in a cup competition. They should have enough to overcome Wraith Rovers. But what I'm talking about, Colin, it's one of many decisions of that type. Yeah, I mean, we go back a couple of seasons ago, we played up at Pataudry, and Emilio Izaguiri puts a cross in and is taken out very late, and we get a penalty. And that is no, no different to what happened to Alistair Johnston at the weekend. And yet what happens, there was maybe one quick replay of it. Um, and that was it. It was kind of brushed over and move on. I just think... Not, um... Sorry, I was just going to say, I think, and I hate doing this because I, I try not to say that there's too much of an a sort of agenda against Celtic, but I think let's, let's call it a, let's call it a bias, Colin, because we know I, that that does exist. You know, yeah. I, I, unlike yourself, I think right, cheating. Okay, that's really difficult to prove. It's been yeah. proved in the past, right? But it is a difficult one to prove, so I can't throw that out there and prove it. 
but I can prove that bias exists. And, yeah, and so that's why I'm always at this moment. And some people d don't think that's strong enough to call it a bias. Yeah. But, but we know that exists. I would say if that's another team, they would get a penalty for that, or they would at least look at the VAR. Because that tackle is late, it's dangerous, and he makes no attempt to win the ball. For me, every day of the week, it's a penalty. Right. I'm just having a look through some images here, Colin, because someone um, has brought up another doppelganger. It's Stugs, uh, Studs Lanigan. He's asking Paddy Lavery if uh, there's a resemblance between myself and a current Scottish referee. And obviously this comes on the back of um, similar comparisons with uh, the likes of Leanne Dempster, Gash from Rabsi Nesbitt. <laughs> Who else? There's a few. Katie Lang, one Katie of my Lang, personal yeah. favourites. Um, and he's actually suggesting that uh, I look like David Dickinson. Are you talking about the ref? Though? Oh, he does say the ref yeah, or the other the David Dickinson. I don't know which is worse, but I'm looking at uh, this David Dickinson and I'm not, I'm not sure. It's hard for me to say. David Dickinson. He looks quite young. I'll have that. I'll take that because he does look <laughs> a lot younger than me. So cheers for that. I know. I'm, actually, I'm a better ref than David Dickinson. Um, I need to take a few sunbests to look like the other one. Um, you mentioned Dembele. Uh, earlier on, I was just having a wee look because I've not checked for a while. I often do check how other ex-Celtic players are doing in that con. We know that he went um, to study Brestois, if you want to get their uh, proper pronunciation, which I've probably mispronounced. He's now 20 years of age uh, and he's made 16 appearances for them, not all starting. He's been on the bench a fair bit. Yeah. Um, he wasn't in the squad a couple of games ago. He was on the bench in their most recent defeat to Paris Saint-Germain. He played in three games, started in three games, or sorry, came on in three games and, and they were all defeats. Um, so he's hardly, you know, uh, lighting up the heather or lighting up the yeah. league at the moment, is he? I think there's a thing that he's played less than 300 minutes of football this season. Mm. So not great. Any other, by the way, any other doppelgangers throw them my way? Um, it's going to be hard to upset me. I've got thick skin, trust me. Uh, David Dickinson, aye. You know, as I say, I'm probably a better ref than, than he is. So, yeah, the penalty shout, a bizarre one, but uh, Scottish football is littered with bizarreness, Colin, and we need to talk about it. I also want to talk about some of the good stuff that happened over uh, the, the weekend there. And this is another point that backs up what you were saying earlier. Paul Diet, uh, a team that has managed a draw against us in the last five years, is classed as a tricky tie. Uh, if we draw Cali Thistle next, they'll be saying that as a potential tricky try. Who do you fancy actually? Because the next round, it's going to be drawn tonight after the uh, Falkirk yep. game, right? Do you get that on Viaplay by the way? That we've been no, it's on BBC. Right, so we've been forced to subscribe to Viaplay and it's on the BBC. Brilliant. Um, who do you fancy in the next round? Um, I'm not fussed. I'd take anybody. Um, selfishly, I'd take either Inverness or the winner of tonight's tie because better chance of getting a ticket at Hamden. Um, but I'd take on any of the other three mm. and I'd feel confident about it. I think you look at it, you say, well, OK, uh, our nearest challengers in the league in a cup final, can we do it? We've proved already that we can. We've done it earlier on yep. this season. So I'm a bit like yourself. I don't mind that. I really don't mind that at all. Um, what, what's your thoughts on there being a potential cup final with a team that isn't in a top division. Is that something that interests you in any way, shape or form? Do you think that's good for Scottish football? It's, I mean, I think the fact now that the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the losing team in the Scottish Cup final no longer gets that ticket for Europe. 
Mm-hmm. They've got to win it. I think mm-hmm. it now goes to the fourth place team. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the old coefficient, I think it's good. Um, and it's great for these teams to get that day out at Hamden that they don't get that often. Um, either Whether it be Falkirk or Air that go through tonight, Inverness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not been that long since Inverness were in a cup final. Uh, obviously, played at Celtic Park. So, it's good for them, and you know, you, you sort of get that whole oh, it's a community thing, and the whole fan base comes out, and all that. Um, the ones that travel from all over the world to come home for a, a Scottish Cup final, it's got the sort of feel good stories to it. But, um, some would say the fairy tale of the Scottish Cup, Colin, exactly. exactly. You know, you hear a lot of that narrative, don't you? The yeah. fairy tale, uh, but on that point, and just you know, actually marrying this onto something that we both spoke about earlier on, a team that gets to that final have got a huge opportunity, right? They're very unlikely to win the game, but it's a huge, a huge opportunity nonetheless. So to give you an example, you remember um, we came up against Dunfermline in three cup finals in rapid succession, two Scottish cups and one league cup. We won all three of them. And uh, when we played Dunfermline, it was 15, 16 and 17,000 tickets sold by Dunfermline for those three games. Mm-hmm. Right, we beat them one nothing. It was uh, Perrier Dumbe. We beat them three nothing with Strack in charge, and there was the three one game when Larson just, uh, you know, they took the lead through. Was it Skeller? Yeah, they took the lead through Skeller, but Larson was just untouchable. But yeah, so we won the three games. So what actually happened during that that period is that let's say over the three games, let's say there was seventeen thousand different pars fans or ticket buyers and those tickets were actually purchased at East End Park right so that that that's just fact that's what happened when the club came to a position in 2012 where they were you know facing um, liquidation they were in administration they had to go to a CVA and they got it at that point the club were frantically trying to bring their support together Colin and you would think that one of the first things you would do is to tap into people who have bought merch, bought tickets, databases that you have at the club. They didn't have it. They didn't have the data. So they had the opportunity of 17,000 fans calling on the fact that they are Dunfermline fans or they supported Dunfermline at that time, and they didn't have it. So it was a missed opportunity. And I think that that's what I like to see about a club getting a rerun um, and the fact that, you know what, they could capitalise on it and I don't mean by fleecing their fans, I just mean by building up um, a business that they can then call upon when required to build the football club. There's also that thing about younger fans. I mean, if you're a fan of Inverness, Falkirk, Air, whoever it may be, when's the last time you got to see your team going to Hamden? It might be that it might be the first time in your lifetime you've seen that. No, and right. that might be enough to just encourage them to stay fans and make encourage them to get along to more games so yeah, there's wee pockets them. there's yeah. wee pockets that on that point no Colin there's wee pockets of Aberdeen and Dundee United fans that I've worked with in the past or that live in my area and you think How, where's your connection where well, the connection was success yeah. back in the 80s and maybe the same age as me a wee bit younger and they've, they've ended up following these teams and they're now all these years later still following them so yes that I like it from that perspective um, and you know whatever happens tonight I'll keep a wee eye on that score and like yourself, though, I think we can overcome it. I think it's time to talk about a treble. And I said that, do we dare to talk about a treble after the game at the weekend? Well, 
I've got no qualms about talking about um, a treble. Actually, we're about 900 strong on the live feed today, Colin. Outstanding on a Monday. Monday's yep. a good day. People like to come in and it's like, um, let's talk about everything that's happened at the weekend. Thankfully, there's not been many venting sessions on a Monday this season. Um, but just going back, last I checked, we were 29 uh, subscribers away from the magical figure of 21. Um, so there we go. And somebody's saying, why is it magical? Well, 21,000. I remember being 21. That was a wee while ago as well. So we're actually now 21 subs away for that. 21 subs. So keep it coming, ladies and gents. It's free to subscribe, free content, loads coming up, loads of plans, and we do give away free gifts. So you might win this. You might also win um, some tickets to the Vim Janssen Tribute Night in May at uh, the Armadillo as well. Let's talk a wee bit about Kyogo then. I remember not that long ago, Colin. Uh, the question was asked in a press conference about Kyogo's dip in form to which Ange responded, he's been pretty much brilliant since I came in. Um, he's racking up the goals as well. Where is he now? 26? 26 for the season, yep. Heading towards 30. An unbelievable rate when you look at last season as well, because he missed a lot of games last season. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Yeah, I mean, I think he kind of missed half the season with injury. So Three months, I think. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was quite... Quite difficult, especially when he, he sort of hit the ground running and then when he came back in, excuse me, Jack and Marcus had done very well, Maeda had done well. But this year, he's just been the kind of player that we, we'd heard we were getting. I mean, he was topped up so highly by the likes of um, Andres Iniesta and David Villa about how good he could actually be. And when you take a look at it, Kyogo has only really played, what, six or seven professional seasons um, because of the way that they, they sort of do that over there where they take a university education and they, they, they go through it. I think it's the same with Hitati. He's maybe only in his third or fourth mm-hmm. uh, season as a professional. So there's still a lot to come from these players. I think that they're hitting their peak now, but I think with the advancements in sport and science that we could be still two or three years away from seeing the peak of what Kyogo can actually do. Um, but you go back to what Ange said on Wednesday night and how Celtic weren't hitting Kyogo with those passes. He kept looking for um, Celtic to improve the way that they found Kyogo. <laughs> and you look at the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of that game on Saturday and there was a lot of balls over the top and they were aiming for Kyogo every single time. Hatati tried to play him in, Johnson tried to play him in, Haksavanovic, Taylor, they all made an attempt to try and get him in. Um, even that fantastic crossfield ball from Cameron Carter-Vickers to Haksavanovic, it was all about getting in behind that Hearts defence. And when you take a look at the goal that he scored, it was a fantastic finish, an absolutely fantastic finish. Lovely death flick. Um, there's not a lot Zander Clark can do about that. And the ball from Alistair Johnson was absolutely superb. Again, it was, a, as you said earlier, Ange ball. don't want to say too much about that, but it was. 
Ange Ball personified. Um, and watching back, it's not until you see the unique angle clip that Celtic have released today of how good that actually is, the movement and how everyone gets into position. The only disappointing point from that is you see after the goal, um, a young Hearts fan in the stand with the, the sort of racist racist gesture towards Kyogo. Hopefully that gets uh, stamped out. You don't like to see that. And the kid's young, so I'm sure he'll, he'll learn from his mistakes and move on. Um, but it's not something you want to see and it's something we need to, to get out of Scottish football, the, the sort of um, element of that. It is, it is um, something that we need to stamp out. I remember the the infamous interview that I did with John Barnes back in the day, Colin, where we were talking about um, issues of racism within society, and that that was always his his take on it. Uh, John Barnes said, you know, until it's rid uh, within the society, it will continue to be because it's a cross section of society on the terraces, and that that's what you see. They don't become different human beings uh, because they're at a football game. It, it exists within them outside of that football stadium. So we need to rid uh, racism uh, from society first and only then can we start working on other things within the football grounds. And we always talk about... um, We always talk about it being a difficult place to go at Tencastle. If you've ever been, you know what it's like. The the stands basically feel as if you're right on top of the pitch. So it can be a very daunting place to go. Mm. But... And I, I say this having some friends that are Hearts fans, having worked with some Hearts fans before on the, the state of Scottish football, there is an element of the Hearts support that they do have to work on. I mean, again, Joe Hart was targeted by um, some of the Hearts fans throwing stuff at him. That's yep. just not acceptable. There's been several incidents that have taken place at Tencastle over the years, obviously, the infamous one where someone comes on to try and attack Neil Lennon. It's something Hearts really do need to work on because they should be proud of their support. They get a big support week in, week out. They they had a big support in the Championship um, and when they go to the the Cup Finals, they take a massive support. They, They can be a very vocal part of that team and you love to see that but there is things that do need to get eradicated. And unfortunately, that was just another one on on Saturday. Yeah, and I'm not saying a siege mentality um, creates racists or, or violent thugs. Um, but, you know, it, it, for me, the whole thing, the fan base seem to hate Celtic with a passion uh, for reasons known only to them. It's not just because we're successful. Uh, Robbie Nielsen coming out saying you need to be decapitated at Celtic Park to get a red card. Aye, very good, Robbie. It feels, um, it feels the flames, that, and that, that does. doesn't help things. No, you're right, it does. And by the way, I want to talk about Joe Hart, uh, I really do, but before I do that, Kyogo, I, I was actually just working out there because I know that the Statos like to do it per minute rather than per appearance now. Yeah. Um, but in terms of goals scored, he's, he's on 46 goals for Celtic, he's had 10 assists, and if you break it into the minutes that he's played, Colin, he's got a goal every 100 minutes, he's got a goal and or assist every 84. So while he's on the park, we'll score. Simple yeah. as that. You know, while he's on the park, we'll score a goal. Um, and yeah, I want to talk about Joe Hart because since he's come to the football club, um, 
You've had somebody, I think it was at Pataudry, ran on the park for a selfie. Um, you've had a bottle smashed in his go-mouth eyebrows. You've had a dart thrown at him at Tynecastle. I mean, he must be looking around going, what is going on here? Uh, t- completely out of control, Colin. Just on that one, because the, the one you're speaking about at Ibrooks, um, there was also the physio that was hit by a, a missile that day or whatever it was. Um, only recently in the last sort of week or two was that man tried for that. So that now, <clears throat> that that's far too long for that to go through the system. That man had two young kids. It was in his late 30s, I believe. Mm-hmm. What goes through your head being at a football game and thinking, I really dislike this player so much that I'm going to potentially hurt them? I don't think it's the player, I just think it's Celtic. I think it's us. I think it's us as a as a fan base, as a club, everything we stand for. I think that's what they hate, Colin. And by the way, I don't think Celtic fans are angels by any stretch of the imagination. We've obviously had our own instance before. But it's becoming more and more common place in Scottish football, and we've really got to to rid it. But going back to Joe Hart, um, that save from—I'm uh, not even sure who it was that, that hit the Unbelievable shot. That is world class, uh, and the fact that he gets back up so quickly to tip it around the post—I know—it's unbelievable, and it shows the class that he has got that we don't see because he doesn't get tested that often. It was it was an outrageous save, Colin, at a very important part of the game. Not only that, Joe Hart's not the type of guy that's in and about the referee unless he needs to be, right? And uh, he was unhappy with the attention he got as he was knocking it past the post. Hart's end up getting a corner. Uh, bad refereeing again because obviously Hart could have been injured at that point. He's obviously had to put up with at least three incidents. There may have been more. They're the three that come to my mind. It was the, the selfie, the glass bottle, the dart. Um but what I love about him is, yeah, you've got his ability in making that save, which was just save of the season so far. And then you've got the leadership that I think Joe Hart has shown a number of times at Celtic. I remember against Dundee, Juranovic was losing his mind and Joe Hart basically barricaded him into the, the goal net to save him from getting sent off. Yep. Um, there, there was a moment where in a European tie, he's ran you know, from his goal right up to the dugout to tell Ange Postacoglu an instruction, to give to give Ange yeah. an instruction, which he took on board and we made the change that was required. Um, he's, he's basically said to the ref at Ibrox, I'm going to take the whole team off the park here unless that gets sorted. Um, and it was and it was Joe Hart, of course, that, that picked up the dart and, and t- took it to Kevin Clancy at the weekend. His leadership and his ability have been, I sometimes think, underestimated this season. What's your thoughts? Yeah, he's, he is very influential and I'm sure that within that dressing room as well, he's a massive part of uh, the success at Celtic. Now, we were criticised maybe a couple of weeks ago for um, having a go at him for when he comes out and sort of looks a bit uncomfortable when he comes out of his box and almost uh, gave a goal on stuff away. Look, every single player um, is going to get criticised for something that they do. No one's above criticism. Um, but overall, in general, you can say that the impact that he's had in the Celtic team is just, it's night and day from what we've had. I think, you, how far back would you need to go to have someone of that influence between the sticks? Maybe Boric, maybe even earlier than that? 
it's interesting that you mention that because there was a discussion I was listening to before, maybe a week or two ago, about the, the influence of the Celtic goalkeepers. And you've got somebody like Craig Gordon. I know Craig Gordon's a captain. He's a captain. He's Captain Tarts. Um, um, but was he that influential or was he just a very good goalie at Celtic? You know, and it's it's the combination of the both of that those elements. Fraser Forster, um, I don't think he had the influence. I think he was he was a very very good goalkeeper. But yeah. it's the leadership you're talking about, Colin. It's, it's having that influence in the dressing room. And I think what we've got in Joe Hart, Hart is um, it's a, you can't put a price on it. And you know what? When he came to the club, we needed it as well. We, we spoke about the lack of leadership yeah. and the lack of leaders. And and I don't know if he's been like that throughout his whole career, uh, but he certainly brought that. To his game at Celtic Park, and it's it's great to see. Um, yeah. I think. Well, I this... want, sorry, Paul. I just want to bring up. There was a comment came in from. I'm not going to bring it up because there's some bad language in it. Um, from a user by the name of Beautiful Game talking about a time that Celtic fans um, had thrown something at Barry Mackay. Um, and I think maybe you're watching behind, and you've not. Was it a plastic? It. Was it a plastic cup? I don't know. He says a bottle, right? <clears throat> I don't think you've maybe heard what I said or you're behind. I did say that Celtic fans are no angels. <laughs> I said we have had instances in the past before and I said the whole thing needs to be eradicated from Scottish football. I'm not picking on any team here. I'm saying this is a Scottish football problem. So you either have to listen or put your bias aside for when we're trying to have a, a discussion to improve Scottish football. If you're having a discussion, though, Colin, about an incident that's just happened, you, you can't then quantify that the severity of that by saying, oh, but remember back on August the 21st yeah. last season. What about today is the worst thing in that, Scottish football. You know, it's the absolute worst thing. You've caveat, caveated your point by saying that it exists in most football stadiums in Scotland. But we're, we're focusing on the incident. I mean, a dart, if that goes in your eye, you've had it. 100%. You know, I've told yeah. the story about, um, I mean, a bottle, if it, if it was indeed a glass bottle. Um, you know, that, that can do some damage as well. I think it was a bottle that the physio took to the head at Ibrox and yep. obviously it split his head wide open. I've seen that, unfortunately. I've seen that at a gig, um, a Lucas Aid bottle at an Oasis gig, and it smashed a boy's head wide open in front of me. It's not a, not a very pretty sight. Why anybody would do it and think there's no consequences to doing it is unbelievable, like you say. But in terms of the length of time it's taken to come up, They've got it through the system pretty quickly, Colin. To be honest with you, the system is absolutely atrocious in this country. Um, I want to also bring this up. Uh, do Hallow LP jot it as class? Yeah, as is jot it on the wing, which at the last count has now got bass guitar, big bems on the back and vocals, um, and also a drummer. And I think the time, if I'm sitting at Celtic in the marketing department, I'm saying, right, wait a minute, we've got Bruni and Lustig coming up today. Um, up to Scotland, up to Glasgow to do the big gig up here. Is it the OVO? Is it? Yeah. Right? Let's get the troops on the stage, man. That would be brilliant. That would be superb. Do you know the thing that's really interesting about that is obviously it was a song way back, what, 2000, early 2000s, um, by a, a band called Ozone from somewhere in Eastern Europe. It was then remixed, and it's the remix that was played and is continuing to play over the, the tannoy when Celtic scored, obviously the Green Brigade and that have changed it to the Jota lyrics. It was then slowed down on Paddy Keelty's Radio 2 show uh, by the, the female, I can't remember her Ellie name. Ellie Dixon. Yeah. We've then added drums, we've then added uh, big bems, and it's gone like almost full circle. It's like original, sped up, slowed down, remixed, original, slowed down, remixed, 
So I'm interested to see what the next steps of this is because... Get them on the stage, Colin. If you're sitting at Celtic Park and you're not thinking about that, if you're not thinking about them as pre-gig entertainment or half-time entertainment, then come on, what are you up to? But Benz would be all over it. You know, anybody else who's part of that would be all over it. It'd be tremendous. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Do, you know I, do you know what I'd like to see as part of like a sort of maybe a concert would be? the chants that have been made for players over the years to the songs that they've had, because the songs are great songs that, that, that have been used. Like, so the Scott Sinclair song, the Stuart Armstrong song, um, even the Odds to yeah, Edward. There's, I'd there's be all over that. I'd be all over yeah. it, but you'd need to throw in the glory in the dream, Colin. Um, <laughs> yesterday, the wee fella had it on the Alexa. It was a proud moment, a proud moment. I've never told him. He put two songs on, Pumping on My Stereo by Supergrass and The Glory in the Dream by The Wakes, featuring Carly Connor. Superb. Um, Michael, I'm bringing this up because I think you're picking up in the conversation Colin and I were having about the behaviour of the football, cocaine and alcohol. There is a huge issue with both um, at the football, 100%, Michael. Yeah, and it's a societal problem that filters into the football uh, and it is something that is causing some distress I'm sure for the safety officers at most football clubs um, We you know, sorry Colin sorry Paul do you know what and I, I know we're kind of over time and stuff but when you look at the sort of press um, campaign that's been going on uh, about pyrotechnics mm-hmm. and then you look at what some of the bigger problems in Scottish football are the likes of people getting hit by coins and darts and everything else that's been thrown bottles. Um, you look at the overzealous policing, you look at loads of different things that we've discussed in today's programme, and you speak about the likes of um, the, the problems we have with, with drugs in Scotland as well, and yet the clampdown is driven on pyrotechnics. And from memory, maybe someone else will say differently, I don't remember many injuries coming from that as compared to things like people getting hit by glass bottles. No, you're right. and and But again, Colin, it is, it's just it's a narrative. It's a political thing with regards to uh, where the focus lies. Uh, but you're right. I think, um, going back to what Michael says, coke and alcohol at the football is a massive issue. And uh, someone also comes up to talk about the suggestion you've just made about the music, Jamie Webster. Um, is it Jamie Webster who does it for Liverpool yeah. launched his career? Um, if you're into that kind of thing, check him out with Brute Combe. I'm getting big nods for Kev, who's pals with the Anfield Rap guys. Uh, Jamie Webster and Brute Combe, this must be the place Talking Heads cover on YouTube. Tremendous, if you like a wee bit of a collab which obviously uh, sparked the music discussion. That's normally reserved for a Thursday, but Colin and I have uh, taken it on a wee tangent there, which yeah. is fine. And, right? Uh, how many how many subs have we shot at 21,000? I think at the beginning of the show, did I say 23 or 27? I think it was 23 or no, 33 we were short, and we are now sitting at 17. So thanks for the efforts. Good. If you're watching this on the catch-up, subscribe to us if you haven't done so already. We'll give away free gifts as often as they come in at the studio, which is quite regular now. And this top is this week's. I'm going to give this away this week and hopefully we'll hit 21,000. Also, 
Tomo is coming to uh, join us on stage at Gracie's next month. There are limited tickets available for Alan Thompson um, for a live event like no other at Gracie's. Are you coming along, Colin? Uh, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Seen Tomo a couple of times. Great, great guy. Doesn't hold back. Um, and he's got some really good stories. So it should be a good night for everyone that comes along. But they, I sometimes find the the chat with Tomo around his time as a coach very interesting as well because yeah. you know there was the whole success obviously of the run um, under O'Neill and what we did under Martin O'Neill but I also find that the behind the scenes stuff with Neil Lennon um, who you know for all intents and purposes was his good mate um, who was the manager and he was the coach there and what happened at Tynecastle and Bullets and the Post and all that stuff we cover all that so if you if you fancy coming along uh, to one of the Axon nights which are becoming a regular feature in the diary then the tickets are underneath this video Colin and uh, you do have to ask him why Bobby Peter is now called Bobby Primark yeah there's I a story was, there as well I thought, I thought it was Bobby Zara but yeah it's maybe changed yeah um, there we go just a just a quick one, Paul. I know we normally bring it up with with Natasha's here, but um, a quick shout out to Fran and the women's team two 0 victory over Hibs yesterday. Um, and the post split fixtures in the SWPL have been announced. And the first game of the post split is, of course, a Glasgow derby. Mm. Two weeks today, uh, Monday the twenty seventh of March, half seven kickoff. I'm sure it will be on TV at some point, but. Um, yeah, we'll look forward to hopefully beating them again. So we beat Hibs 2-0 and we're six points behind, yeah, at the moment in the, yep. in the league race. So it's not beyond Fran Alonso and his team. Um, no, actually, they've still got to play Glasgow twice, they've still got to play Rangers twice, so there's a lot to go. I was just saying, we, remember we got the Fran Alonso jacket, remember when he, he first burst on the scene and he was wearing the white blazer? Yep. And um, I managed to get one that was worn by John Malkovich, believe it or not, bizarre. But yeah, it did happen. He was wearing it in a film. Where, uh, it was Johnny English. He was wearing it in a, in a movie, John Malkovich. And it's in the studio. But it's up on this ledge up here. If I can get it down, maybe that'll be the next raffle. Maybe people will unsubscribe. I'm not I sure. I think you've got to give it to Fran himself. Present it to Fran. If, if Celtic women win the title this season, there has to be a video of you handing that jacket to Fran Alonso. I think you'd accept it. He's a good guy. Listen, yeah. um, we've got uh, a brilliant... A brilliant turnout today on a Monday. We hit 900 live. It's always appreciated. Loads of talking points, some of which we'll get back to later on in the week because we've, we've ran out of time. I've got to thank everybody for getting involved in the comments section. How can you help us? Give us a wee thumbs up on, on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. It's all free. We've got loads coming up. I've got a really good interview with Tommy Manta coming up as well. Um, and um, somebody else tomorrow. I'll be interviewing someone else tomorrow. So as much as we can, we will bring you exclusive content to the channel as well, and it's all free. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved, and thank you once again, Colin Watt, for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.